let's imagine that we're all standing around looking at a great big chunk of marble that's been cut out of a marble quarry. What's it going to look like to most of us? Just a big old piece of rock. But what would it look like to a great artist? A great artist, someone like a Michelangelo, can look at a chunk of marble like that and with this great artistic eye that they've been blessed with, can stare at that chunk of rock and see right through the exterior, through the roughness and all the flaws, a beautiful sculpture that's potentially hidden inside. And so even if this great artist turned to the rest of us and could describe exactly what he saw, what he could envision this, this rock being transformed into so that we also could see it, there'd still be another difference between his vision and ours, as he could also see what it would take to create that sculpture, what kind of tools that he's going to need, the blows he's going to have to strike, and so forth, in order to bring away that rough surface and uncover this sculpture into view. And there's still another difference between that great sculptor and someone like us. Whereas if the rest of us that are on a project to sculpt that marble, even if he gave us the tools, we'd probably just make a big mess out of it, hammering away and knocking things here and there. But he has the ability to take his mallet and his chisels and actually bring this vision into reality. He can actually take a rough piece of marble and bring a beautiful statue into view. Now imagine that somehow, before that great artist started working, this great big chunk of marble somehow was given feelings. So it could feel the blows being struck at by the chisel every time he swung the mallet into the chisel. Everything, it could feel everything from the great big chunks being knocked off right to the final stages of the really smooth polishing. And imagine this piece of marble is also given a voice. What sort of noises? would it most likely make during this process? Would it be happy and giggling, thanking him for every time he struck it? Or would it be hurting and suffering and maybe doing a little whining or crying? Okay, obviously chunks of marble don't have feelings. But if they did, getting carved into beautiful works of art wouldn't feel good, would it? So what's your point, Father? Well, it's pretty obvious what we're talking about. See, we're really the chunks of marble, and God is the great artist. And only God can see the beautiful saint that's hidden under the rough surface of our fallen, sinful, selfish state, huh? And only God has the power to bring forth a saint when he's working with a material like us. Because, of course, except, of course, for the Blessed Mother, we're all damaged goods. Thanks a lot, Adam. But God doesn't use a mallet and a chisel when he's trying to sculpt us into sanctity. What tools does God use to form people into saints? What instruments does God use to shape us, to bring us towards sanctity? What does God use? It's easy. St. Paul writes about it in Romans 8.28. Quote, we know that to them that love God, all things work together unto good, to such as according to his purpose are called to be saints. Close quote, the inerrant word of God. We know that to them that love God, all things work together unto good. All things. God 
uses everything. He's God. He uses everything. Think of what the Holy Ghost is telling us here. For those that love God, all things, every single creature works together unto good for those whom he is calling to become saints. Those who love God, those who are called to be saints, that's us. That's why he let you be a Catholic. That's what he expects of you as a Catholic. All things work together for our good. If we love God, they work together for our good. That means that everything is meant to help us become holy. Every single thing. God has a purpose for every single creature, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. Every single creature that we come in contact with is meant to sculpt us, to help us in our path to becoming holy, to make us more like him. He's the absolute master sculptor who looks at us and sees the possibilities, spiritual possibilities hidden in there. And then in his infinite wisdom, he picks the perfect instruments to bring that spiritual beauty forth. Every creature we come in contact with is meant to make us to become holy, make him become more like God. What about things we don't like coming in contact with? What about creatures that really hurt us? Let's go back to our imaginary chunk of marble that has feelings. Every time the chisel hit that chunk of marble, it would hurt, right? Suppose this chunk of marble, besides having feelings and being able to tell us what it was feel, could wiggle and squirm and dodge and maybe even avoid the blows of the chisel. Would that, what kind of sculpture? would result from this moving piece of marble every time you try to do it it's wiggling and squirming and trying to get out of the way of the of the artist's blows would there be a beautiful work of art at the end of all that probably not it'd be like trying to hammer on jello it's moving around and wiggling and all that sort of thing okay the same principle applies to us god the master sculptor has a purpose for allowing us to come into contact with a creature we don't like a creature that really hurts us. He's infinitely wise, and he also loves us. And so if he allows us to suffer, it must be necessary to help us become more holy. If he allows us to suffer, it must be necessary to help us become more holy. He's infinitely wise, and he loves us. He isn't tormenting us. If he allows us to suffer, this is critical to understand. It must be necessary for, in our process of growing in holiness. But something like suffering will only help us become holy, become more like God. It only works to the degree that we submit to his holy will. It only works to that degree. If we're trying to dodge and squirm all the time, it's just like this wiggly piece of marble that you never really can hit, get a good straight blow on, okay? Along these lines, the late great Father Dean has some comments that are really worth pondering, worth meditating over. It's a lengthy quote, but it's worth listening to. Quote, if God is to achieve his purpose, we must submit to his action without reserve without anxiety and curiosity and murmuring like a trusting child. But so often we are like spoiled children. We pray, sincerely we think, for God to make us holy. Then God takes us at our word. 
He begins to work in us in the best way possible at that moment for his purpose. He starts to work on us through the contact of some creature with us. It may be a disagreeable duty. It may be a change of job. It may be a contradiction, a provocation by someone we don't like. It may be a headache or other physical illness. It may be a regulation by the boss. It may be an interference with our plans. It may be a refusal of permission or misunderstanding. It may be anything we do not like, great or small. But at the first slight contact with the creature, which is God's instrument for sanctifying us, for making us more holy, we begin to scream and kick and yell. No, no, not that. Don't work in me in that way. Why does this have to happen to me? What did I do to deserve this? Why do things have to be this way? Why do they have to act like that? In such a manner we go on and on like pouting, immature children complaining and rebelling against God's wisdom and his goodness. Thus we persist in proving the insincerity of our prayers to God that he take us into his hands and make us holy. We are not and cannot be sincere in our desires or prayers to be perfect or to be holy unless we refuse to make peace with a habit of complaining and murmuring against God's will. Unless we are willing to develop a habit of recognizing his working in us through creatures. Unless we work to trustfully submit without rebellion and without resentment to the action of our loving Father on us, his children. The submission is not to the unpleasant thing. The submission is not to the evil that we bear. But our submission is to the action of God which is taking place. We submit to the will of God which is bringing about this suffering or this pain we call evil. Close quote, Father Dion. We're not sincere about becoming holy unless we refuse to make peace with a habit of complaining and murmuring against God's will. We're not sincere. We have to refuse to make peace with that. We may complain, we may murmur, but we've got to be fighting that tendency. In other words, just as our imaginary chunk of marble could never be sincere about wanting to be carved into beautiful sculpture if it kept crying and whining every time the artist actually took it seriously and struck a bow, so also we'll never be serious about being sculpted into saints unless we strive to grow up, spit out our thumbs, quit whining, and complain about the suffering and annoyances that happen to us and embrace the will of God. Keep in mind, the submission is not to the unpleasant thing. We are not submitting to suffering as such. We're submitting to the action of God in our lives. To use our comparison of this chunk of marble again, in order to become a beautiful sculpture, our imaginary chunk of marble is not sitting there embracing these blows from the chisel as such, even though the blows are striking it, it's not directly submitting the blows from the chisel, but rather the will of the artist that's going to use those blows as a means of bringing forth this art. Okay, it's not the same. You have to undergo it. It's something that has to be undergone. We're not embracing suffering as suffering. Okay, we're embracing the will of the artist who's who's setting out to make us holy. 
That's what we want to embrace. Okay, St. John of the Cross, that great doctor of the church, used to say, quote, One blessed be God in times of adversity is worth more than a thousand acts of gratitude in times of prosperity. Close quote. That's the attitude we want to have. Bless God for what he's doing in our lives. We're not blessing him for the suffering. We're blessing him because he's bringing something forth good by means of his suffering if we just let him. It's perverse to directly like the suffering. That's not what God requires of us. Love of the cross doesn't have anything to do with liking the cross. It means that we know the person, the divine person who the cross is coming into our life has a perfect plan if we just don't rebel. And if we embrace that cross, it's just the right size to unlock the door of heaven for us. Okay? Let's get practical. How can we develop the habit of not complaining and whining when we're suffering and instead trust him and submitting to his perfect plan. Well, we already know this technique. We make a particular resolution. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Be like this, I love you, Lord, and to prove that I love you, I resolve today. Every time I'm tempted to whine or complain about my job, my husband, my wife, my friends, my neighbor, my health, I'm gonna say this little prayer, thanks God, we write it down. We write it down. The least we can do if we're trying to overcome a fault is write it down. We write it down, and then every morning we renew that resolution. At lunch, we ask God for the grace to make our examine well. Then we ask, did I keep my particular resolution? We thank God if we did. We apologize if we didn't. And we renew that resolution from lunch till supper. At supper, we do this basically the same thing and renew our resolution till bedtime. At that time, we look back. Then our confessions become a progress report on how we're doing in conquering our fault of complaining and whining about God's action in our life. If we want to make even more rapid progress, we can make Holy Communions, begging God for the grace to overcome our whininess. We plan out what we're going to ask before we go to Communion. And then after Communion, we spend 15 to 30 minutes talking to God about our particular problems and begging him for mercy and asking him to keep us from wasting all the graces and the sufferings that he's been so kind to send into our lives. Then we make a spiritual contract with him. We tell our Lord that until the next time we go to communion, every time we say something like thanks God or perform some little action like touching over our heart or pinching or something like that, we mean to repeat by that action everything we just spent the last 15 to 30 minutes talking to him about. We mean to repeat all that by this simple action. And we ask our angel to repeat those things to our Lord as well. And then from time to time we just touch our heart or pinch our fingers deliberately or say the little aspiration and we've renewed everything that we just poured out, all those prayers we just poured out to our Lord in communion. This will carry us from communion to communion. And everybody here should read and read and reread this wonderful little book called Uniformity with God's Will. There's a donor that's been generous enough to give some, so before you leave today, we've got them at the doors. Make sure you leave with one of these. Got a picture of St. Alphonsus on the cover. That's an extra good deal, too. It's written by St. Alphonsus. It's like the quotomatic. Scripture, doctors, saints, all these things on how to unite ourselves with God's will. It's a quotomatic. You've got 25 little pages that will fit in your pocket of this kind of practice, okay? Submission to the will of God is an absolutely crucial concept for Catholics to understand. It's just the first sermon. We'll unpack other things. There's a lot of things implied in this. 
if you read this, you really caught on to a lot of wonderful things that will help people with common spiritual... It's like their arteries are clogged spiritually. They don't realize some of these things that God's trying to do in their life. And when they do, it can change things. It won't necessarily change the exterior circumstances, but it'll change you profoundly when you start realizing what's going on in your life and what God is trying to do there. And instead of resisting him and being like a squirmy piece of jelly, you know, we can become these kind of marbles that he can carve something beautiful out of. Okay? It's a secret of the saints. That's what we're here to become. Heaven forbid any of us have to live a hundred years, but even if we have to live a hundred years, that's just nothing in the light of eternity. It's basic training for eternity. We're here to become saints. Every day God's given us an opportunity to love him more and more and more. When we say, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, do we mean it? We'll find out as we start practicing uniformly to his will, especially in suffering. Read this book, make particular resolutions, make communions, start working on this conformity with God's will. We're here to be saints. Remember what St. Alphonsus says, Those who say God does not wish us all to become saints make a very great mistake. Yes, for St. Paul says, This is the will of God, your sanctification. God wishes us all to be saints, and each one according to his state in life. The religious, as a religious, the priest, as a priest, the married, as married, the man of business, as a man of business, the soldier, as a soldier, and so of every other state in life. God wishes us all to be saints.